This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Donna Chavis. Thanks, Sid. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Donna Chavis, and you are listening to Messianic Vision. Our guest today is a pastor, a New York Times bestselling author, and has taught hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. And today, we're talking about a topic that piques the interest of all people, believers, non-believers, all religions, all ages, Everyone wants to know what life after death will be like. So let's get started with the pastor of Gateway Church in Austin, Texas, John Burke. John, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on your show, Donna. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I was amazed. I just want to say this to those that are listening. I was in Nashville, Tennessee on a work assignment for Sid, and he called me and he said, are you still at the um, at the book conference? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I'm reading this book. It's called Imagine Heaven, and it's the best book I've ever read on heaven. Now, Sid's read a lot of books on heaven. <laughs> So he said, see if you can find it and see if you can contact him. And I said, yes, sir. So that's why you're here today. <laughs> well, it's a real honor to be here and an honor to hear that. Well, great to have you. Uh, now, John, you studied approximately a thousand near-death experiences and over a period of 35 years. That's right. I said 35 years. And you wrote your book, Imagine Heaven, based on a hundred of these experiences. My goodness, what made you tackle such a huge project? Well, um, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and? (laughs) The longer answer is um, I was was not a believer, Mm -hmm. um, and I was was more of a a skeptic, and my father was dying of cancer, and um, someone had given him the very first book written, on near-death experiences. And I saw it one night on his bedside table and picked it up and just curiously started thumbing through it. And I read the whole thing in one night. And, you know, it was, it was the first of chronicling people who have had clinical death. You know, their hearts stopped. Yes. Brainwaves have ceased, and yet they're resuscitated by modern medicine. And they talk about, um, you know, that life there is life after death. And I read it, and so many of them as well talked about Jesus. And I, you know, I was, I didn't, I thought the whole thing was myth. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of seized me. And I said, oh my gosh, if this is real, this is the most important thing ever. I've got to find out. Right. And it was actually the next year that I was invited into a, into a small group Bible study. And um, I'm very analytical. I studied engineering. And so I have a, you know, analytical, scientific mind. I want to know why. And I, I told him, well, you're not going to want me in it because I have a lot of questions. <laughs> You'll kick me out. And they said, no, come on, bring it on. And I did. And it, it allowed me to dive into the Bible and really understand grace, understand who Jesus was, what he did, uh, how God has put so many proofs throughout history that this was truly um, his long-foretold Messiah. And... Um, 
and I came to I came to faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so since that time, I ended up going from a career in engineering uh, into ministry. Went to seminary, and I, I've become a, an avid student and teacher of the Bible um, for years and years. But at the same time, I was always curious, like, what are those near death experiences? Mm-hmm. And and back when you know back at that time, uh, Christians were very uh, leery of them. They were kind of branded new age and kind of pushed away. Uh, and so I was always curious and, and I, and I started studying them to try to understand, well, how do they reconcile with what the Bible says? Now, what did you study over this, this period of, uh, over three decades? What types of things did you study? Well, I, I, I mean, basically started collecting these stories and, and trying to understand, you know, what are, what are they saying? What are the commonalities, um, I, I met people, I interviewed people, and, um, and, and it wasn't until um, really the last decade or so that Christians started talking about them. Mm-hmm. Christians were very hesitant to talk about them, and the reason is is because, quite honestly, uh, the Christian church did not understand it and quickly would just say, stay away from that, it's new age. And as a result, it just shut them down. Yes. And many of them went to those who would embrace and help them process this this experience that's realer than real. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, then I think it got turned off from um, from church. Yes. Well, now what? After your study, you you studied for over three decades. You studied all kinds of things: uh, major world religions, philosophy, multitudes of these experiences. What your conclusion, the reason that you felt like people have these near-death experiences? Well, I think they're a gift from God. Ah. I mean, I think, I think it's, uh, it's like any gift from God. You know, we can take any good thing that God gives and, and we can twist it um, and we can basically reinterpret it as uh, completely separate from God. I mean, nature, you know, <laughs> All of all of nature reveals the glory of God, right? The angels cry right. to, to Isaiah, and um, and yet we can look at nature and we can worship nature and miss the Creator. We can, you know, look at it and say, "Oh, look, this just proves there is no God." Well, the same is true with near-death experiences. They're experiences. God's given them for a reason, but people interpret them still, and that was what really helped me. I discovered some interpretive keys. It took me 35 years to write Imagine Heaven because I had questions still. I was trying to work it out. Um, and I was, and honestly, I had asked the Lord several times. I've written other books, and several times I asked him, is it time? Because I felt like this was something he had – it was my story. It was something he had been doing in me for a long time. Right. And finally, I felt like he said yes. And, um, and part of it was understanding a few key things. Two in particular, that almost all of these experiences, a great majority, uh, there, there are many commonalities that they have, that they report, but it doesn't mean they interpret them all the same. Mm-hmm. So this is an otherworldly experience, truly. Um, something, the, the, the best way after studying them and listening to many people talk about it, the best way for us uh, 
you know, you who are listening to understand what this is like is imagine if the world you live in right now is not three dimensions of, uh, you know, time and space, three dimensions of space, one dimension of time. Imagine we're living on a flat, two-dimensional black and white painting on the wall of your house. So all our experiences on a flat, black and white, two-dimensional painting, death means separation. So imagine when you die, suddenly you're ripped out of that two-dimensional painting into a three-dimensional world of color, your room, that was all around you all the time, but you, you as a flat two-dimensional creature couldn't even conceive of a third dimension, of up or down. It wasn't even part of your existence. Suddenly you're experiencing not less of life, because you, you're still experiencing your two dimensions, but more dimensions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and color. And then imagine you're put back. You are resuscitated in your flat black and white two-dimensional world, and you're trying to describe to people what this three-dimensional world of color all around Right. <laughs> How do you do that? Imagine is like. And ima- you, what, what words would you use? Well, that, I believe, is exactly what these people are, are they're grasping for words. That's why they say things like, I've never felt so alive in my life. I've, that was more real than this. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, we've only experienced real as we know it in, in our, you know, three dimensions right. of space and one dimension of time. Right. And, and let me ask you this, John. You know, you talk about living, living there on the wall in the painting. You know, some of us walk around every day. We live our lives. We go through the motions. We do our things. And why do you think so many of us walk around without even a thought of, of heaven or the afterlife? Well, I have thought a lot about that because I'll be honest with you, Donna. I mean, as much as I've looked at it and studied it, I have those moments and those times when I just feel like God's ripped the veil back and I'm just in awe. And I feel like, you know, that's part of why I wrote Imagine Heaven with 120 of these people's stories, because I wanted you to see the scriptures, but I wanted you to see what they see and what they experience so that you feel it and, and, and kind of feel like you've been there. Mm-hmm. Because because then you realize that's the life worth living for. That's what Jesus said. But I think the same time we live behind the veil. It's kind of like the curtain gets pulled back. And right. We live in a world that is separated from God. That's what sin has done. And as some of them said to me, you don't realize how much uh, sin and our rebellion against God has affected and corrupted everything Yes. Ooh. until you're there. Yes. And, and so we live in that. And so it, it's kind of like the gray just kind of sets in over time. And so I think that is why Colossians 3, we're commanded, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. You know, set your mind on, on things of heaven. That's for, for your life is hidden in Christ. Yes. Who we actually are, what we're actually all about and and the life we're longing for that we keep grasping for and so many things on this planet ultimately we won't have until we're alive with him Mm -hmm. and the imagination oh my goodness our our gift of imagination is is unbelievable and you were talking about um in another place you were talking about how people uh, that are approaching retirement or they think about retirement and they can imagine it and they imagine it and they play it over and they prepare for it and they work for it and um we're willing to sacrifice yes 
for the future, you know, I can I can relax with my friends and family and play golf and this and that. And so we'll save for it. We'll sacrifice now for what's to come. But that's so short-sighted, you know, because the life to come is 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 truly the life to invest in, the life to live for. And of course, you know, Jesus told us this, and 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 we know it. But I think without without really imagining it, we have these secret fears, and they hold us back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me ask you this: of all your studies, I, I've heard people say, "Oh man, heaven! We're just going to sit around on clouds and play instruments and float around on the clouds or whatever." That sounds pretty boring to me. What do you say after your studies? I totally agree. That would <laughs> <laughs> that would be boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of a Far Side cartoon where you got these two guys, you know, sitting on on the edge of a cloud, whistling, and one says, "I wish I'd brought a magazine." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of people, even Christians. John, you're a pastor. You can't say heaven is boring. You know better, right? <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's it is. I mean. That's the thing. So the commonalities that people talk about, uh, and and I didn't I didn't finish what I was saying before. The the two interpretive keys that I realized is there's a border or a boundary. At, it's one of the commonalities people talk about with near death experiences. They knew they couldn't go any farther and still come back to this life. Mm. That was very important because it was confusing to me even how some uh, could still cry out to God and be saved. Um, in in the midst of this near death experience, and and you know we know that um, in Hebrews it says for it's been appointed for for us to die once, and then comes the judgment. And so you know how how could that happen? Well, I, this is not full biological death, and that's that's why you know the second interpretive key is you can't you can't determine what happens after full biological death based on near death experiences. Mm-hmm. construct your view of the afterlife based on these stories. Instead, these stories are like dots of color to color in the picture, the bigger picture that, that God's given us through the, through the prophets and through Jesus in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I realized is that not every near-experience story that starts good necessarily ends good. And that was the second interpretive key. But the commonalities that they talk about... Um, are right in line with what the what the Bible's been telling us all along. May I ask you a quick question before you go further there? You're talking about this this core near death experience. You you've um there's so many experience and and you said of course and teach that there's none of them alike. You have to take into account, you know, uh, people's cultures and languages and that kind of thing when they describe them. But take us through that what you have discovered is the is the core near death experience starting with okay, someone is uh, either in an accident or maybe a hospital or sick or whatever and they come to this place where they are now, it begins like with a person um, dying or near death. Yeah. This is not uncommon. The Gallup poll discovered one out of 25 Americans has had a near-death experience. Really? Yeah. So we're talking about millions of people. I've studied uh, close to 1,000, but there are millions. Um, and, and they don't easily talk about it because it is so 
it's so otherworldly and it's so sacred. It's not like a dream. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, oh, I had the weirdest dream. Oh, ha, ha, ha. It, it's, it's sacred to them because it's, it's hard to process. Right, and right. Usually they're, they're met with skepticism or like, oh, you're probably hallucinating or, oh, is this or that. And they usually shut down. But, yeah, so the commonality. So typically what happens, someone, um, you know, whatever might happen, they're in a car accident or heart attack, and they find that they, they leave their body and they are still alive. In fact, they feel more alive than they've ever felt before. Uh, not with five senses like we have, but some describe it as more like 50 senses. It's kind of like the, you're, you've never felt so much and experienced so much. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they leave their body, but many are in the, the vicinity of where they passed away initially. So they're still watching what's going on. In some cases, they're watching the operation. They're seeing themselves on the operating table, and they're able to later, when they come back to their body, they're able to later report things that they couldn't possibly have seen or heard. Right. Actually, in chapter two, skeptical, I write about skeptical doctors in the afterlife. I write about what convinced so many uh, skeptical you know, non-Christian, I mean, just not, not believing at all doctors that there must be life after death because of what these people reported. Now, you know, Paul talks about this, how when we leave our body, we have a spiritual body. So, you know, we're, our, our, our 1 Corinthians um, 12, our, uh, our earthly body is, is sown a, uh, a natural body. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in 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 glory, right? Sown in weakness, raised in in strength. Uh, sown a natural body, raised a, a spiritual body. Um, and and so we know that we're going to have a spiritual body. What these people talk about is that uh, it is ourselves. You feel completely like yourself. Uh, people recognize arms, legs, hands, you know, uh, all that. Yes. You recognize other people, people who have gone on before you. So there's there's full recognition, there's touch, there's hugging, there's there's communication, but the communication is pure. It's it's thought to thought and heart to heart and mm-hmm. no misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And our eyesight is beyond what we've ever imagined. Um, you know, like like telescopic and microscopic. And now you may think, well, where is that in Scripture? Well, it is in Scripture, actually. You know, it's interesting, when John, in the book of Revelation, is taken up to heaven, the angel takes him up on a high mountain and shows him the holy city, the New Jerusalem. Okay, so think about it. He's up on a high mountain, and yet he's able to read the names inscribed on the foundation. Oh, yes. How does he do that? Well, that, they talk about that. They talk about how, you know, if they wanted to see something, they could, they could see it. So when they're in this, this experience, they are actually experiencing things in heaven, although they are usually in the vicinity of their body at this point. And then you said most of them see a, a being, a, a light or something that they convey as a being that, that uh, maybe asks them the question or talks to them about going on or coming back. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt in their minds this is God. 
Now, but first what happens is they, they often, after they're in the vicinity still of, of Earth, then they, they travel. So they, they talk about it in different ways. Some talk about they went through a, a dark tunnel, or others, others talk about it like a pathway. That, that can kind of vary, but it's almost like going from one realm to another. And they come out into a place of beauty that's not unlike Earth, um, mountains and trees and gardens and flowers and, you know, but light that is different than Earth. Mm-hmm. The light is palpable. The light is love. The light is life. And they talk about this consistently, consistently all around the globe. Mm-hmm. I love that. Children, uh, elderly, it doesn't matter. And the light um, comes out of everything. So it's kind of like everything is lit up with this light. Uh, it doesn't shine on things. And, and, and this is one of the fascinating things. Even blind people say that. Let's talk about that a little bit later because I, I want to talk to you specifically about that, about blind folks that have these experiences. And we're going to have to take a break in just a second. But one last thing before we go to break, John. Now, do people report that sometimes they get the opportunity or the choice to go further or come back or are they told okay it's not your time yet you have you you need to go back or is is that common in this core experience yes it's both um some uh are told it's not your time yet you have to go back um they don't want to <laughs> i guess the one who has experienced heaven wants to uh come back uh, but others realize that, you know, the, the people around them still need them. Their children still need them. Yes. There's something that they still have to do. And they are given a choice. Um, and they, you know, they obviously chose to come back because they're reporting on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something so much better waiting for all of us. Yes, and that could be an, an encouragement to all of us for sure. Well, we are going to take a quick break. You're listening to John Burke, author of Imagine Heaven. And in this book, John compares more than 100 near-death experiences to what Scripture says about some of our biggest questions about heaven. Now, you know, you've asked them. I've asked them myself. Will I be myself? Will I see my friends, my family? What will it look like there? What is God-like? We've all asked them. Well, this book is a thrilling journey into the afterlife, and John says that it will forever change the way you view the life to come and the way you live your life today. Well, Sid and I cannot wait to get this amazing resource in your hands. It's John's book, Imagine Heaven, and the brand new Imagine Heaven devotional, and also two powerful messages on CD from John. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk with John about what some people specifically see, hear, and experience in heaven. We'll be right back. Call now and get John Burke's powerful book and hardcover devotional, Imagine Heaven, and his anointed three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. This is an exclusive package for our rich supernatural audience, yours, for a donation of $40. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9594. 
Through John Burke's powerful book, Imagine Heaven, you will read the true stories of 100 different near-death survivors, including doctors, avowed atheists, college professors, bank presidents, people of all ages and cultures. They died and experienced life after death. Then they came back to life. The common experiences shared by all of them points to the glorious picture of heaven that is promised in the Bible, helps you better understand what it will be like to meet your relatives and even past relatives from your family line, explains what heaven is like, what God is like, and how you will have a purpose and destiny that begins here on earth and lasts for all eternity. Helps you understand that some who had near-death experiences encountered hell. It changes the way you live today. It changes people's view of God when they realize how much that He loves us. You will also receive John's beautiful hardcover devotional book, Imagine Heaven. Now you can meditate on the realities of heaven with this beautiful anointed devotional. Each of the 100 devotionals includes a near-death story, a scripture, a short teaching, and a prayer for you to receive your breakthrough. Included in this exclusive offer is John Burke's powerful three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. Through listening to this series, you will know that each person who went to heaven experienced a beauty that filled their soul with peace and overwhelming love imparted to them in the presence of Jesus. In this series, you will hear John Burke's powerful teaching on the afterlife, revelations from John's decades of research, John's astonishing interviews with actual eyewitnesses to heaven, don't miss out on getting John Burke's powerful book and hardcover devotional, Imagine Heaven, and his anointed three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. This is an exclusive package for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $40. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9594. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina 28278. Please specify offer number 9594 or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. Welcome back, everyone, to Messianic Vision. I'm here with John Burke, author of Imagine Heaven. And, John, we have talked about, I mean, we got a lot of information in that first segment. But I want to zero in a little bit on some of these scriptural commonalities that you found when you were studying all these experiences. Tell us about some of those. Yeah, so after, after people are taken, you know, kind of out of the earth realm and into this new realm, it is, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's, it's more than that. Um, and like I said, not unlike earth. And, you know, people don't realize that scripture tells us this. I mean, Isaiah, uh, in, his, in his vision of the life to come, you know, there are lions and lambs that lie down together in meadows and pastures. And in Revelation, John's taken to heaven and there's giant mountains that are, are looking out over the, the new Jerusalem, the city that is, it's gold, but it's also crystal clear. So we're talking about otherworldly substances. Now, when I've interviewed people, you know, and I've interviewed like TWA airline pilots, uh, spine surgeons, uh, bank presidents, these are people who, you know, they don't have anything to, to gain making up these wild stories. Sure. They're saying the same thing. You know, so Dale Black was a TWA airline pilot, uh, crashed, and yet he finds himself uh, going through this tunnel and then flying in or floating into the New Jerusalem, and he describes this scene, and I, and I quote him because it's just so breathtaking. But it's exactly 
the place that John was describing in the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. of these majestic mountains, snow-capped, he said. And, uh, and he hears waterfalls, and he sees this, you know, grass and flowers, and he can see over into the city and houses, homes, beautiful. And he, he notes the architecture is like, um, like nothing he's ever seen before. And he's not in the airplane at this point. No, no, no. <laughs> flying. But he doesn't need an airplane. Wow. He's with angels, and he's coming into the city. And, and again, this is not, you know, one of these, and you would go, oh, you know, really? Yes. But when you hear thousands of them saying similar things, and like I said, you know, people who are professionals who would just be made fun of, and, and you know, they're, they're, it's going to hurt their career, yet they're... They're convinced this was real, and then it correlates with what others have said around the globe. And so there's beauty uh, to come like, like we've never experienced. There's also relationship. You know, it's interesting. Um, Jesus said uh, that, you know, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. His last night on earth, John 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, and I'll come and get you, and you'll be with me, and we'll always be together. And it's going to be life, he said. It's, it's going to be abundant life, life beyond what you've known. And we're going to eat and we're going to drink. He said, I'm not going to drink the fruit of this vine. You know, I'm not going to drink wine together with you again until we do it together in the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's like real life. Yes, yes. And, and Jesus also told us, he said, hey, use your worldly resources, you know, to, to, to help others. Because then, when all your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into the kingdom of my Father. And what's fascinating is how many people talk about their welcoming committee to heaven. Uh, Don Piper, a pastor, talks about coming up to the gates of, of the New Jerusalem and this welcoming committee of people coming out greeting him with the most joy. Dr. Mary Neal, a spine surgeon, talks about the, this group of people there waiting just bursting with love and light. And that's another fascinating thing is these people, we recognize them and they recognize us. So they're our friends, our family members, uh, you know, people who have gone on before us. Wow, that is quite something to, to be able to ponder and to imagine your welcoming committee when you enter into that place. Ooh, that's something that I would definitely spend some time imagining and thinking about. Well, and, and as Marv Besteman, who's a bank president, talks about, um, you know, he realized that the people in his welcoming committee were people that either he had invested in spiritually or they'd had something to do with his development. Right. You know, his spiritual development. And what about what, about what people hear? I know we talk, you talked a little bit about senses earlier, that they are so heightened. Um, w- some people, a lot of people reported hearing God's voice, his actual voice. Yeah, so, so another commonality. And actually what's fascinating is this is one of the greatest commonalities, that people at some point along the way experience this being of light and love brighter than the sun. This is the way they describe him, brighter than the sun, but not hard to look at. In fact, you don't want to do anything but look at him. <laughs> and, and in his presence, they know he's God. They don't have any doubt. This is God. Now, those who know Jesus know he's Jesus. Yes. Go 
those who don't don't know exactly who he is, but they are describing the same God that Daniel the prophet saw by the Tigris River. They're, they're describing the one Ezekiel saw in his vision in Ezekiel 1. They're describing the same God who was the blinding light that Paul saw when Paul came to faith, the same one that John saw on the island of Patmos in Revelation 1, same God. And he knows them, every thought, every motive, everything about them, and they've never felt so known, but they've never felt so loved. So it's a knowing, a supernatural knowing. It's a knowing like you've never experienced before. And they hear his voice, and his voice is unique as well. And this was another fascinating thing. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, uh, a woman uh, in, in the Middle East who had become a Christian and actually got blown up in a, in a terrorist attack on her church and is in the presence of Jesus, and she's talking about his voice and what she's describing and what others describe in places around the globe. It's, it's the same voice, even. And it's what Scripture talks about, uh, a voice some describe it, uh, a pastor, um, Steve Shogren, who had a near-death experience, uh, described it as um, like a thousand voices at once but one, or like the thunder of, of waters, many waters rolling, and powerful and yet so personal and soothing. Kind of hard to understand, but when you see and hear so many of them saying the same thing, yes. you go... Wow. Yes, and these people didn't get together ahead of time and talk about it, right? No, and I, I've got to tell you, that was what was so fun, because um, I've interviewed a, a lot of them personally, and I have, I, I videotaped the interviews, and they, many, and the ones I interviewed, they didn't even know each other, and when we started talking about some specific things, like going into the gate of heaven, so, you know, John talks about how it's, uh, there are 12 gates of pearl. And I used to, you know, I used to read Revelation 21 and I thought, golly, that just, you know, gold streets and pearl gates and, you know, just kind of sounded cheesy and gaudy, honestly. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) That's like my house. No. (laughs) I think many people feel that way. But what you realize that John was trying to describe, and that these people, when you hear it in so many of their words, this is an otherworldly place and an otherworldly substance. So they describe, they see the New Jerusalem, and, and they describe it as like a crystal city, but it's also gold. Mm-hmm. But gold and crystal clear, are that they don't go together in our world. And yet they're consistently saying that. And this is exactly what John was trying to describe. Go read Revelation 21. He says, it is made of gold, clear as crystal. Well, that, we don't have that. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gates were of pearl, a single pearl. Well, uh, Don Piper uh, and, and, uh, and Dale Black and Mary Neal and these people that I've interviewed talk about going up to it, and it was pearlescent is the way they describe it. It was like some otherworldly substance that looks like like pearl or like the swirl of some kind of, you know, pearlish substance <laughs> that they could see through but 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 it 
but not at the same time. Right. And they could see into the the streets and 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 what was going on in the city. And like Dr. Mary Neal describes it as bustling with life. And uh and and the the fascinating thing is as they're going through they describe the same things, but in other ways. Like they talk about how the light played off the inside of, of the gate. Now, I'd never thought about this, but the gate into the city is actually a tunnel. So it says in Revelation, the walls are 214 feet thick. John, The angel had John measure it in Revelation 21. And, and so this gate through is actually a 214-foot-long tunnel and interestingly, all the people talk about how it's lined on the inside with the same pearlescent-like substance. Mm-hmm. And then different ones talk about how the light, and the only light is the light that comes from the, from the center of the city and then emanates out of things, how it played or bounced off this pearlescent substance. And you have multiple people talking about this, and they didn't even know each other, and they didn't know what each other was saying. They were right. saying it to me. And you know what? I, I loved this this phrase that you used, uh, blended senses. A lot of people reported or tried to describe the fact that they could hear and see things at the same time. It's like the light or whatever. You could hear it and see it. Blended senses. Yeah, and it's really hard. I think that's part of what they meant by not just five senses, but more like 50 senses. Mm-hmm super heightened senses. So some talked about, you know, like the music of heaven. The music of heaven is just astounding. Um, it, it seems to coordinate everything. And it's, it's going all the time. Some described it, like Betty Maltz described it as in many different languages at the same time, but I could fully understand it. Uh, Don Piper described it as... Um, like a thousand different songs from Bach to uh, Queen, (laughs) all at the same time, and yet fully harmonized somehow. Yes. I don't fully understand that. Um, You know, others, uh, Dr. George Ritchie talked about seeing a place where music was being composed, but it was of of a complexity that he couldn't even fathom or explain here. Mm -hmm. And not just the light, but but colors. So many people talked about colors. Yes, and and this is another fascinating commonality that's so biblical, but we've never thought about it. So around the world, people who've had near-death experiences commonly say in this world of beauty, the light comes out of everything, and they see colors beyond anything they've ever seen before. Now, think about it. Isaiah told us this, so did uh, John in the book of Revelation says that the the city of God has no need of sun or moon, for God is its light, and and Jesus is its lamp, and the nations will walk in that light. So this light that is love and is life that emanates out of everything is the light of God. It's the glory of God. And that's why the color spectrum is so beyond, you know, the colors that we see on earth are are breaking down the light of the sun. Yes. The sun is artificial light, but Jesus is the light of the world. You know, the water on our planet that our bodies need for sustaining is artificial water, but the Holy Spirit is the water we thirst that we'll be able to drink freely from forever. 
Isn't it amazing? I mean, God's given us these little traces, but they're all just hints. Yes, yes. And I have to ask you about this, John. Oh, my goodness. People that were actually blind from birth when they would have these near-death experiences, you have recorded some of them who actually saw and could describe things that they saw. Yeah, I report three three of them in Imagine Heaven. And, and that was one of the fascinating things. So... Um, Brad Burroughs was a, an eight-year-old who was blind from birth, dies, and he says he is, he's going up through this gorgeous meadow with these huge palm trees, and, and they talk about how no dead leaves, nothing dead, and it's just beautiful. And he's experiencing this, and, and, he, and he talks about how you know, he, had, he had never seen before, and if he had been on earth, he probably wouldn't have understood it, but now... In heaven, he, he fully understood this is how he was meant to be. And he's moving up toward this wall, and he describes the wall. Okay, this is an eight-year-old kid describing this wall as made of these giant gemstones that emanated a light that was like, it was like a fire. And he, and he was mesmerized by it, and he wanted to touch it, but he was kind of afraid it would burn him, but he, but he was also drawn to it. So he's talking about this wall of gemstones. Well, that's exactly what John describes as the foundation of the New Jerusalem. Then Brad Burroughs, this blind eight-year-old, talks about how he enters into the wall and the substance was not stone like he felt on the wall. Now it was a smooth substance. He didn't even know... How, he didn't know how to call it yes. what it was, but what's a smooth stone? Pearl. And he talks about how that smooth substance lined this entrance, that he, this tunnel that he was now going down. He called it a tube, that he was going through this wall into the city when an angel stops him and tells him he has to, he has to go back. So again, you've got even blind people corroborating with doctors and pastors and it's amazing. An- another blind uh, woman, Vicky, uh, blind from birth, had a car accident. She sees her body on the operating table, later describes how she recognized herself. She goes through this, you know, she said she was seeing all this color for the first time ever and seeing her surroundings. And then she moves through what she could only describe as maybe darkness because suddenly all the color was gone. She comes out into this beautiful garden setting. Uh, with trees and birds singing and, you know, flowers and everything is love. Mm-hmm. Everything's conveying love and light, she said. And the people there, she said, were, were bright. They were made of light. And now, now here's a, another fascinating thing. Daniel talks about this very thing. Daniel, in Daniel 12, the angel says to Daniel that, you know, many will sleep in, in the dust of death, and some will uh, be raised, uh, you know, to eternal shame. But some, those who are righteous, will shine like the stars forever. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 13. He said, the righteous will shine forever in the, in the kingdom of my Father. And remember when Jesus was transfigured, they saw him, his glory shining out of him. Well, what's fascinating is we get to share in God's glory. That's his promise. Yes. When we, when we live for him, when we are willing to suffer for him, we share in his glory. 
And, and you, if you stop and think about it, and I, and I talk about this in Imagine Heaven, if the glory of God is the, the light and love and life of God, and that glory is what we share in coming out of us, maybe, maybe the experience we will have of heaven is determined somewhat by the amount that we will let the light and love and life of God shine through us now. Yes, wow. Because people talk about how different people shine with different brightnesses. And now imagine, this is not just shining with a light, like, so what, right? (laughs) This is how much of the life and love of God we get to experience through us in heaven forever. I mean, doesn't that motivate you? If you're listening to this, doesn't that motivate you to go, oh my gosh, I mean... I, I want to live for him now so that I experience more of him there. Yes, yes, for sure. I, I want to take you back to Vicki just for a moment before we go to break. Um, Vicki now, you said, was in a car accident. She um, had a near-death experience. She saw heaven, but she actually recognized, now blind from birth, she recognized some of her childhood friends. And now when she conveyed that story, John, were they able to actually confirm that that was a true description? Yes, and and that, that's amazing. Yeah, another commonality is that in Jesus' presence, Vicky knew Jesus, and she he hugged her, and she said the the hug was it was like a hug like you've never had before. She saw his beard and the light coming out of his beard, and and it describes his robe. And what's fascinating is the researcher. That that um, one of the researchers who interviewed Vicky was not a Christian, and Vicky was a Christian, and he's fascinated by how she could describe Jesus the way we would think you would see Jesus, but she's never seen a picture. Of Jesus. Right. But she, um, in His presence, and this is another commonality around the globe, in God's presence, we're, we're given a life review, and and this is like this is not just seeing your life. This is like from a third person reliving your life. In an instant, but the whole thing. And again, time on the other side is like Peter said in in Second Peter three eight. You know, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Well, that's what near death experiencers say. I don't know if it lasted forever or a second, mm-hmm. but you relive your life, and in that life review, Vicky saw her friends who she had grown up with. And they were also uh, blind and had severe um, physical challenges, um, uh, physically and emotionally. And in her life review, she saw them, and she saw how they walked, and she saw how they interacted. And she also saw them in heaven because both had died, and they were whole and healthy in heaven, and they communicated fully. But when she went back to earth, she was able to describe – in the presence of the house mother, who verified that, yes, in fact, that is what her friends Debbie and Diane looked like, acted like, and and the challenges they struggled through, she couldn't have seen that because she didn't see when they were living together, but she saw it in her life review in heaven, and the house mother confirmed it. Right, right. Wow. (laughs) That one just blew me away. There are many like that. I just cannot express enough how much you are going to be amazed at this book and all that that God has prepared for us. Let me just, before we go to break, let me read the beginning of, um, or the front cover of the book. Imagine heaven. 
near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. Oh my goodness, <laughs> just the cover, yes. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We've got lots more with John in just a moment, so please stay with us. What is the main purpose of this life? This is one of the most universal questions in our shared human experience. Everyone has questions about what comes next. Is heaven real? What is it like? What will we see there? Will I be myself? What is God like? John Burke studied thousands of near-death experiences, NDEs. He wrote about over 100 of them in his book. His research will forever change the way you live your life today and how you view the life to come. Call now and get John Burke's powerful book and hardcover devotional, Imagine Heaven, and his anointed three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. This is an exclusive package for our rich supernatural audience, yours. For a donation of $40, shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9594. Through John Burke's powerful book, Imagine Heaven, you will read the true stories of 100 different near-death survivors, including doctors, avowed atheists, college professors, bank presidents, people of all ages and cultures. They died and experienced life after death. Then they came back to life. The common experience is shared by all of them, points to the glorious picture of heaven that is promised in the Bible, helps you better understand what it will be like to meet your relatives and even past relatives from your family line explains what heaven is like, what God is like, and how you will have a purpose and destiny that begins here on earth and lasts for all eternity. Helps you understand that some who had near-death experiences encountered hell instead of heaven. It changes the way you live today. It changes people's view of God when they realize how much that He loves us, that looking into His eyes, they never want to leave His presence, and really they want to live for Him. You will also receive John's beautiful hardcover devotional book, Imagine Heaven. Now you can meditate on the realities of heaven with this beautiful anointed devotional. Each of the 100 devotionals includes a near-death story, a scripture, a short teaching, and a prayer for you to receive your breakthrough, your healing, your miracle. Included in this exclusive offer is John Burke's powerful three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. Through listening to this series, you will know that each person who went to heaven experienced a beauty that filled their soul with peace and overwhelming love imparted to them in the presence of Jesus. In this series, you will hear John Burke's powerful teaching on the afterlife, revelations from John's decades of research, John's astonishing interviews with actual eyewitnesses to heaven. Many people who did not believe who are skeptics uh, have written me and told me that they now believe because I put in there uh, skeptical doctors, uh, cardiologists, oncologists who are convinced because when these people die, they leave their body, they see what's going on in the operating room and that convinced many skeptical doctors. Don't miss out on getting John Burke's powerful book and hardcover devotional, Imagine Heaven, and his anointed three-part audio CD set, Eyewitness to Heaven. This is an exclusive package for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $40. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9594. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina 28278. Please specify offer number 9594 or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. 
Welcome back to Messianic Vision, everyone. I am here with John Burke, and we are talking about his book, Imagine Heaven, and all the experiences that he has had the privilege to hear about over the last three decades and more. John, when we were at break, you mentioned something that's just a little bit puzzling. Uh, you, you, you said, why is it that some people that are not even believers, when they have these near-death experiences, how is it that they see Jesus? Yes, and that was one of the things that, uh, you know, I struggled with understanding for, for decades and, and what kind of held me back from writing it, trying to understand. You know, we know uh, Acts 4.12 says there's no other name um, under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. You know, he is the way, the truth, and the, and the life, the way to the Father. And, um, and, and so it confuses people when they hear about near-death experiences and people don't know who this God is, and yet they experience his love, his kindness. They want to be with him forever. So what does that mean? Well, I think it's important to understand, first of all, Revelation 1-7 tells us that every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Oh, yes. So we know, you know, everybody is going to see him at one point. And just because you see him does not mean you believe in him or you're right with him. Case in point, Paul. You know, um, Paul uh, is on the Damascus Road on his way to kill Christians. I mean, he's having them arrested. They're being killed and tortured. And this blinding light appears to him, right? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now, this same man of light, then, is, is, that's appearing to these people in near-death experiences appears to Paul. Does that mean Paul was automatically right with God? No. See, we don't think about that. Because Jesus didn't, and, and, and you know, one man wrote me and said, if this is really Jesus, why didn't he say, I'm Jesus, so that they can believe in him? Well, that, that assumes that Jesus is somehow has his hands tied and can't, and now all of a sudden he can but doesn't. But he doesn't have his hands tied. Right. This is the way he is doing it. And he says to Paul, go uh, to Ananias and you will find out what you must do. Well, Ananias tells him, you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. Believe in Jesus. See, Paul still has a choice. And, and that's what we have to understand is even people who see God in their near-death experience – um, they still have a choice. I write about some amazing ones. They're, they're amazingly sad to me. Um, but people who were in the presence of Jesus, this one, this one woman um, who uh, said she's confused by it because she doesn't believe in Jesus. She grew up Jewish and, and you know, didn't believe in Jesus. But in her near-death experience, she's looking down on the car, the car crash, her kids in the car, and she feels the presence of someone to her right, this incredible love, and turns and looks, and she said, there was Jesus, just like you would think you'd see Jesus, except I have never felt so loved in my life, and I just wanted to hold his hand and be with him forever. But he leads her to a vision of hell, of a hellish experience. And then she and then shows her a vision of three... Uh, uh, children older crying out, Mommy, we need you. And she said, I knew Jesus did not want me to stay with him because if I chose to stay with him, I would be one of those miserable creatures he showed me. 
So he wanted me to go back. Mm -hmm. She does. And then after all that, she says, but I don't know what to make of that because I don't believe in Jesus. My goodness. Yeah. Now, but I also know a Jewish nurse who saw me on um, on the news uh, when Megyn Kelly interviewed me and said, I had an experience like you were talking about when I was 16 and I died. Um, and she said, I, I grew up Jewish, but agnostic and atheist. And when when my horse fell on me, I was up above looking down and Jesus was there with me and I knew it was Jesus. And she actually believes it was Jesus. And uh, and we've been talking about, you know, how, you know, her, her wrestling through getting baptized and what that means for her, you know, growing up and all that. But she believes. So the the point is, just because someone sees this doesn't mean, you know, that, that doesn't determine whether they believe or not. They still have a choice when they come back. Yes, yes. And some people experience a hellish experience. And I think that's an important thing to realize as well. Not all of these near-death experiences are good. Right. But I did, you know, well, always trying to, to hope for the best for people. I love what you said, though, that some of the people that were not believers and they experienced a hellish experience came back to pursue with all of their heart just in a mad way. Uh, because of that experience. Yes, and this is one of the interpretive keys that really helped me understand it. Like, for instance, I write about um, Professor Howard Storm. He was a tenured college professor, an atheist. He dies in Paris with a ruptured duodenum, didn't get surgery in time. He leaves his body. He's in the hospital room, and he's confused because he knew death just means lights out. So now he's standing there in the room, and he feels better than he's ever felt before. He said, I felt like Superman. One minute he felt the worst he'd ever felt. Then he just felt better than he'd ever felt before. There's a welcoming committee of people that he thinks are hospital nurses and doctors in the hallway saying, come on, Howard, we're, we're going to help you. And, and he's confused. He thinks that, and, and again, time on the other side doesn't work the same. So it's a little hard to understand. But he's, he's still in the realm of this world, and, and they're saying they're going to help him. Now, if his near-death experiences stopped right there, this atheist would have come back and said, hey, it's all good. Everybody goes to heaven. Right. But, the, but it continued on. And, and, and some do come back at that point. But his continued on. He follows these people that he thinks are nurses and doctors who are going to help him, and they end up deceiving him and leading him into this outer darkness where they turn on him and maul him. Mm. And he's not the only one that reports this. In fact, of those who come forward reporting near-death experiences, um, which is not everyone that has one reports them, but of, of those who do report them, 23% have reported hellish experiences. And even the doctors and researchers who are not Christians talk about and admit Yes, there are hellish experiences, and, and, and talk about them. So, so Howard, interestingly, this atheist professor, starts to have this, this thought in him, pray to God. And, and, he, and he's fighting it. He's fighting his pride in, in the pit of hell. 
And still his pride is, is struggling with him. But he remembers when a neighbor brought him to Sunday school as a little kid, and he remembers the words of a song, Jesus loves me, can't even remember anymore. And suddenly in this horrific place, he thinks he wants that. But how could Jesus, if Jesus is truly God, how could he possibly love him? But he cries out, Jesus, save me. Into this outer darkness comes this brilliant light, brighter than the sun. Hands reach out of this light, pick him up and hold him. And he talks about how he just starts weeping like a baby. And Jesus is holding him like a mother or a father would shoots him out of there, and then, in the presence of angels, gives him a life review. And he relives his life, and he realizes that he, he's got to go back. Well, Howard comes back, and this atheist, tenured professor becomes a Christian, and uh, his wife, two years later, he, he ends up leaving his tenured professorship to become a Christian pastor, his wife divorces him because she's still an atheist and wants nothing to do with his craziness. And um, his kids still to this day uh, are atheists. And it's the saddest thing he talked told me, this is the saddest part of it, is I did such a good job convincing them. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. And there are others. I mean, I have a close friend here in, in Austin who um, overdosed on a, a cocaine overdose. Um, his wife was a stripper. They were doing cocaine. He overdosed and, uh, he is dropping in this outer darkness when he cries out to God. Now, again, the reason they can still cry out to God, I believe is they haven't crossed that border or that boundary that, that somehow these near death experiences are, they're a glimpse of the life to come, but, but they haven't fully crossed over. And I don't understand that fully. Yes. Yes. Paul also cries out. And God is there with him, gives him a life review, and then he comes back and he tells his, his she was living with him at the time, his girlfriend, I've got to, I don't know what you're going to do, but I've got to find this God who just saved me. And he, he does, he comes to Jesus and he and his, then they get, get married, she comes to Jesus too. They end up starting to come to Austin from Houston to help their friends and neighbors discover Jesus and end up starting a church for second, third generation Hispanics that's grown to the largest church in Austin for, uh, for Hispanics. Wow. Thank the Lord for that. So those experiences hopefully will lead people to realize, thank you, Jesus, I still have a choice. Wow. Well, you know what? You talked about the life experiences there a couple of times when you were describing some of those, and we've got a few minutes left. John, I would love for you to talk to the listeners a little bit about what is the life review and what, why people say that that is so impactful when they have that, when they have these experiences. Yeah, so in the presence of Jesus, the way they describe it is, he is what I've always longed for, mm. you know, and in his presence, they feel unconditional love, but they also re-experience their lives. And this life review, they re-experience everything, not just from their perspective, but from the perspective of every person they interacted with. And they see the ripple effect of their little acts of kindness. They also see the ripple effect of their not so kind things. 
And Jesus is showing them what he's told us all along, that, you know, how we treat people, that's what really does matter. And not only does it matter, but it ripples through humanity. It's our legacy. That, you know, truly, when we love God enough to let him teach us how to love our neighbors and our coworkers around us, there is a ripple effect that God can do through that, that that's all he needs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they realize that love is what it's all about. They come back consistently saying that. So they're looking at this life in a snapshot, like you said, it could, it could seem to last forever, it could seem to last for a second. But now that life review, so that they can see what really matters or what mattered in life, that's, you, we're not talking about the final judgment there, right? No, because, um, you know, it, it, it talks about in Revelation that, that the final judgment, there are actually two um, that it talks about. And they come after all of human history is, is consummated, is finished. So clearly that's not this. What this is, is what Jesus said, is there, there is nothing that will not be revealed. There's no secret, no hidden motive that won't be revealed and known. And he's just showing people, this is true. You always live in the presence of God. You can think you hide and you have secrets, but you don't. And so better to just be honest with God and live in, in, in view of his light and love that can't be taken away. There is no condemnation in Christ, so there's nothing we need to hide. Instead, we need to just be honest and let him grow us into people who can truly love others the way he loves us. Yes. And then the, the, the judgment, the final judgment, the one is you know, the great white throne judgment. And that is whether you have recognized your need for, for, for the forgiveness that God offers through Christ. And that's what makes us right with God for eternity. It's not based on our works at all. It's based on just our turning to God in faith, knowing we need his forgiveness, knowing Jesus has purchased it. The second judgment is a judgment for Christians. And it's actually like a reward ceremony. <laughs> it's like it's like the Oscars. It's where it's the red carpet of heaven. It's where, yes, Jesus shows all our, our works, and yes, we see everything for what it is, good and bad, but he wants to reward us for the good done. Yes. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3, you know, that, that what you've built your life, there's only one foundation, and that's Christ. But you can, you can build with wood, hay, and stubble and things that are they're not going to last when the fire of, ju- of his judgment comes. But you can also build with precious things, you know, the words of Jesus and live for them and believe them. Yes. And you will have something lasting. And the rewards of heaven are far beyond anything you could hope for, you know, to have a reward here on earth. Yes, yes. John, I would love for you to pray for our listeners, if you would, before we go. Uh, just that, that they, uh, for those that can get this product today, that they would just uh, to, to read that, to soak it up. And for any of those listening, whether they get it or not, to be able to imagine, imagine heaven. Would you pray for them now? I'd love to. Lord Jesus, you are more wonderful than we can possibly imagine. And, uh, Lord, I thank you for the gift of those who have seen, even like Paul, um, who I believe did have a near-death experience in Acts 14 when he was stoned and dragged out of the city. And then he said he was taken up into heaven years later, and he saw things inexpressible. You've given us in the Scriptures people who have 
told us what it's like, and these people now who are telling us what it's like. And Lord, I pray for every person listening to this, that if they've had a hard time believing your word, that um, they would read and hear and see how real this is. And God, that they would put their hope in you, that they would realize that at the end of the day, even the beauty of heaven and even the relational love of heaven, it's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is you. And that looking into your eyes and being with the one who created us for himself, that is what we long for most. And all the other things, the beauty of earth, the beauty of heaven, all of our um, adventures and excitements, they're all gifts from you. But you are ultimately what we want. And I pray that every single person listening to this would realize it and fix their eyes on you and be able to imagine heaven because our lives are hidden in Christ in the heavenlies forever. So help us know that, see it better, so we can live for it now in Jesus' name. Yes, yes. My goodness, Pastor John Burke, what a pleasure it's been to have you with us today. Well, thanks so much. I, I have loved it. always love talking about this. <laughs> I'm sure. And for everyone listening, please join us again on the next Messianic Vision. And now, here's Sid Roth. Sid? Now, you know we all have questions about heaven. What does it look like? What am I going to do there? Will I be myself? What is God like? John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven, answers these questions and a whole lot more. We're also making available the brand new Imagine Heaven devotional. There are 100 devotions, and each one includes a scripture, an eyewitness account of heaven, a short teaching, and a prayer. Perfect for meditating on heaven every day or night. How about just before you go to bed? You can get both books, Imagine Heaven and the brand new Imagine Heaven devotional and also John's three CD teaching series, Eyewitness to Heaven. This entire resource package for an investment of only 40 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org, S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Be sure to ask for offer number 9597. That's all for number 9597.